Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Benchtown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. And today begins our coverage of the latest installment of the True Detective series, True Detective Night Country. We are covering episode one, titled part one. But first, a little Benchtown TV housekeeping. If you're listening from our new True Detective feed and are not familiar with our other podcast coverage, then we just want to introduce ourselves. We are the Benchtown TV podcast and we cover binge-worthy TV shows. We have been a podcast for almost four years, have covered over 100 different TV shows, and we've even had the opportunity to speak with some of the stars of our favorite shows. Our podcast covers so many different TV shows, and besides True Detective, we would love to have you as a listener for those as well. We recently covered Fall of the House of Usher, Attack on Titan, Beacon 23, and A Murder at the End of the World. And besides True Detective, we're also covering Jujutsu Kaisen, the live-action adaptation of Yu Yu Hakusho, Reacher, and Percy Jackson and the Olympians. So what I'm trying to say is that we cover a lot of TV, and we want you all to come for the ride. All you have to do is search Benchtown TV on any of your favorite podcast apps, or check us out at BenchtownTV.com. All right, Tyler, we're here. The newest prestige TV show. I'm done my talking. I just did my full intro Introduce yourself. Let's talk some True Detective. Hey, hey, everyone. This is Tyler from, uh, I guess I've, I've done more of the Emmy pods and Jim and I put on our detective hats for the Silo series uh, back in the summer. But you know, this is really a, a passion project for Chaboy because I know that there's a lot of different shows and things out there, but True Detective is just, for me, one of the the things that I look forward to the most. I've seen the first three seasons each more times than I care to admit. Even the second one. I've watched the second one multiple times, so you know I'm a truther, right? Yeah, that's a truther right there. You know, it's not as good as one and three, but... That's just because one and three are so good. I can still watch season two over a lot of other stuff. Season two got the flack because season one was just so phenomenal. I mean, th- that yeah, you go by to comparison, season two and then by comparison yeah. to season season one, season two sucks. But it's been a long time coming. There's a lot of things changed all the way down to the director for uh, Night Country. It's not even really yep. going. It's True Detective is very small. It's Night Country, so that's why for this podcast, Jim and I are the Night Boys. So We're the night you can, boys. Yeah, Jim's going to add in some uh, like an intro theme for us for that one, but for the night boys. <laughs> I'll have um, to think of something. Night boys cometh, right? But to get to the show quickly, I thought that, you know, for a first episode, there was a lot of promising uh, breadcrumbs dropped that are what the True Detective show was all about. And I figure for this first podcast, yes, we want to talk about the episode, but more so I want to talk about how the episode compares to... What season one really laid the foundation for? And then given our detective uh, experience, we got to start laying out some of the big questions that this episode gave us. And uh, that way, when we start throwing out some of our BS different Mm -hmm. theories throughout, we'll have something to look back on. What did you think of the first episode, Jim? I enjoyed it. I really liked it. It's true detective through and through. You know, we know that there's always... The mystery and everything that makes the show so interesting, but True Detective is about the characters, the setting, the tone, and I think that this really nailed it already. I love the setting. I love the Alaska setting, the darkness for two months. You know, we're going to be getting into mental health issues that come from the fact that you're stuck in darkness for two months. We're already getting some really juicy characters that we're going to be able to work with. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode. And you know your boy's ready to throw some theories at you. We'll wait yeah. we'll wait until it makes sense to bring it out. But, yes, I have some theories. 
Yeah, and just the the quick rundown for anybody that just watched the episode. So look, we've got we've got Jody Foster, heavy hitter. Jody Foster, if you're a little bit uh, younger and you're not you're not as familiar, I mean, go watch <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. There's a million things, but we've got Jody Foster and Callie Reese. Setting is in town in in Alaska and centering around the disappearance and what we find at the end of the episode, the murder of a team of scientists at the Sala Station, about, what did it say, 150 miles from the Arctic Circle, so really up there in Alaska. And that mystery murder situation also ties back to an unsolved cold case uh, Mm -hmm. that is the first chance for Callie Reese, who is... Agent Navarro, or I guess we go with Detective. Trooper, Detective, Trooper Navarro, they really, they bumped her down, but Trooper Navarro. And uh, the stage is set in the first episode where we have a lot of questions around the previous interaction between Navarro and Jodie Foster's character is Liz Danvers. So I'm going to start right now, Jim. You got my word. We're just going Navarro and Danvers, okay? I'm going into the mode of actually their true detective names. But they've got a previous relationship that stems back to the cold case that was unsolved. Callie Reese obviously has mental health issues that run in her family, along with a lot of anger that seems to be pertained towards the town, towards the white versus indigenous population, towards mm-hmm. mine, and, and at the center of it all, obviously, uh, abuse of women, which you know shows throughout the episode. And they set the stage, man. They've got a little bit of everything. And- it really did a nice job of hearkening back to what makes the first season of True Detective so sensational, but obviously almost learning from that season, the good and the bad, and putting a new spin on it. And I want to talk, obviously, a little bit more about the ins and outs that, and, the, and the things that we all caught throughout the episode, but I figure a good place to start it is just like the similarities that this has to season one. And that goes mm-hmm. back to the creator and director of this season, Isa Lopez. Have you are you familiar with Isa Lopez at all? No, I don't believe so. So she she is a Mexican director. There's probably not gonna be a ton of things that you have heard of heard of her for, but there is a movie that I've never even seen that came out in like twenty seventeen called Tigers Are Not Afraid. And it's this really well-regarded movie. So Barry Jenkins, who, a Barry Jenkins plug, again, we're stepping into the prestige world, Barry Jenkins, director of movies such as Moonlight, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies ever, won an Oscar, ever heard of it? And uh, <laughs> and he has a production company now. So the drop here is that, as good as True Detective is, after season three, Nick Pixelato, who created it, in my opinion, kind of was like, fuck this. I'm done with it. I'm, this show is pissing yeah. me off. I can't please I mean, he, anybody with this show anymore. Right. Um, and, I don't blame him at all. I don't yeah. blame him at all. Like, season I, one I, is his life's work. Season and HBO one is, his is just like, yo, come on, baby. Spit this shit yeah. out. Spit this shit out. Season, Give us more. Season Give us one more. is his masterpiece. Season two, HBO made him do in a year. And then he takes years away from it and comes back with season three, Mahershala Ali. But a couple of things happened. One, people didn't trust the show anymore because they were jaded yeah. from season two. I'm one of them. Yeah. One of our hosts here was just even out on it. I'm going to get him to come yeah. back. but I'll be back. And the other piece was he wanted to use the dynamics that he'd created in True Detective, but tell a slightly different story. And 
that involved a little less action, a little bit more drama that Mahershala Ali crushes. And people walked away from it saying, this is not me, by the way, but people walked away from it saying, oh, this is a little bit more boring and, and not as dark mm. and everything that I wanted in the first season. If I was him, he's like, what the fuck can I do? I'm not, I can't recreate right. the same thing over and over again. And that's why I think it's important that at first I was a little bit skeptical of this show because he wasn't involved with it. But then when I thought about it and just laying it out right there, it's almost like it needed someone to breathe new light life into right. it. And Makes sense, I can yeah. see even in the first episode that it feels like Issa Lopez and Barry Jenkins production team, they're taking everything that was so good about the first season and kind of repackaging it and also in making some upgrades, in my opinion, which I guess we can we can get into right now. But when you think of season one, Jim, what do you think of? Like, what does True Detective mean to you? What separates this from just a buddy cop show? Yeah, honestly, True Detective is one of the best. Well, season one is one of the best single seasons of television out there. And that would be a great podcast for another time to talk about listing those kind of like Westworld season one, True Detective season one, things like that. To me, when you're looking at True Detective season one, it's the two main characters. You know, it's the two characters. Yeah. It's the acting. It's the passion. I was actually just tweeting from the Benchtown account saying that 2014 was the year that I was like, woo, for Matthew mm -hmm. McConaughey because it was Interstellar and True Detective season mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Unbelievable acting performances by Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. And I agree with you. There's a million reasons. And I know I gave you an intentionally broad question there. So I kind of set you up. But if there yeah. was two things that I had to tie it back to, for me, to what you just said, it is the acting and the dynamic of two detectives, right? Of mm -hmm. team of detectives. But the other aspect of it, which I think True Detective season two and three struggled with a little bit, is. This idea that there are like satanic, hellish, underworldly things that exist in this world underneath yeah. the surface of what you, you know the majority of us think about. And they have this terrible impact on the world in all these different ways. And it's almost, you know, the idea of these detectives walking in and pulling a thread that unravels something that's a little bit bigger than what they are expecting, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's where in season one, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson's characters obviously have a much different worldview. And to finally link it back to this, I love how in, in this first episode, they do a great job of showing you that Danvers character, while we are still going to learn her backstory, she is more of the red-blooded, you know, wearing a Vikings hoodie, bitching about fantasy mm -hmm. football. She's got a kid that we don't understand the origin of why she has this kid. Is it her kid? She seems like she's taking care of it. She's got baggage, but she at, the, at her core is a good detective that's just trying to fucking get her work done and move yeah. on with her day, right? And then Callie Reese, on the other hand, has some harrowing- yeah, Navarro. You're going to have to keep me in check on this one, because I, <laughs> I you know you. I can cook on these pods for these types of shows, but <laughs> I will lose track of which character. But Navarro's character is more similar to Russ Cole, Matthew McConaughey in season one, has 
a bit of spirituality inside of her, right? She's got this indigenous background mixed with a harrowing experience from being in a war where I didn't think I was going to see uh, the gross half of someone's face, you know, <laughs> Gus Fring style in this, in this yeah. episode, but... Right. Oh my Phantom god. I was like, oh my god, they're showing me a half face right now. But Navarro's got some demons and some things behind her that have led to this spirituality that is obviously, you know, gonna be kind of the push pull between our two protagonists, which mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. those are the You've got that paired with a bunch of scientists and horrific murder of of a woman from earlier. And that's that's everything I'm looking for to kind of tear oh, yeah. it together. Now, I want to talk about real quick the things that I think they already are using to improve upon the first season. That's a bad word because it's not really an improvement, but more so they don't want to repeat the same thing. So the first season uses this narrative device of these two guys that are interviewing all these people after the fact. So it gives you as the viewer another person on your side to be like, what's happening here? What's going on? Who is this person? What did you do here? And that's like a, a you know, a useful you know plot device. But while everybody knows how true detective season one ended, so they love true detective season one. I think you and I can both say as people that were watching it literally week to week from when it started, they were almost losing viewers at the end of the third episode because it was just oh, yeah. three episodes almost of backstory. Mm-hmm. And I like how because episode they four, don't, man. yeah, I like how because they don't have the narrator like that in this show, they're more so going to just let like either some flashbacks or otherworldly events, or just you as the viewer having to use your head to kind of understand their backstory and unravel that. It makes it right. so they're like going to probably get through to the meat of this a lot faster than True Detective Season 1. And this, right. to my understanding, is a six-episode season. Six parts, so, yep. They have so to do it quicker. So it's kind of, my first thought was, how are they going to get it from eight to six? Well, boom, you you turn the first three episodes of Backstory kind of into one. Um, so I really did enjoy that. And on the other side, I liked how when they introduced the characters to you, they found cool scenes to essentially just give you the main points of the character instantly. Like Navarro mm-hmm. comes into you know a situation where a man hits a woman in in a factory, but also, you know, obviously he's a POS, had hit her, she hit him back, boom, right away you're like, okay, Navarro is no bullshit, she's really tough because she's like taking this guy down instantly, Yep. but she's Mm -hmm. also going to be more of like the daredevil-esque, you know, justice seeker. She's the badass. Yeah, she's the badass, and she cares about the story of, you know, what women are telling you as opposed to the POS guy. It's like, oh, this is a badass and she is a strong woman and she's going to have the backs of all the women in this show where meanwhile, you walk in on Danvers' character walking around with, this is similar, you know, it's similar to Silo when I was going with Ned Yost for one of the characters. I will only Mm. see the character Hank Pryor, so the other, you know, police officer that she's with as... right the brother from Eastbound and Down. <laughs> did you, did you make know, that connection? I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I was looking at him and I was like, oh my gosh. I was just waiting for him to like brush his teeth while he's taking a dump or something like that. But that, but, <laughs> um, 
it uses that quick dynamic of them walking around Sala Station to show that she is a smart detective. She's quick-witted. She's instantly asking the right questions. She finds the mayo versus the ham. The clothes are damp. She knows that they've been gone for two plus days. Um, But she's also no nonsense. So, like, what did you think about just the introduction to our two main characters? And what what were your thoughts that way? I thought you nailed what you were saying about both characters, to be honest. I I think that Danvers and Navarre are going to have a great dynamic together just because we know that there is some tension there where... Danvers, it's not that she wants to brush it away, but she's saying, I'm older, I'm wiser, I understand that there's just no killer that we're going to find. We're not going to be able to get this taken care of. It's a cold case. It's over. Navarro won't take that for an answer. It's been six years, and she is obsessed. But like you were saying, Tyler, it's not like an obsessed where you're like, oh, this is this is just ridiculous. You need to get rid of this thing. She has a passion because she cares so much. She's like, you didn't see the girl. You weren't there at the crime scene. Horrifying stuff. Yeah, and horrific crime she, scene. She's still talking to the brother. And the brother himself is kind of being like, hey, listen, you're kind of dragging me back into this. It's already enough pain. I don't know if it's worth it. And she's like, it's worth it we have to get this figured out she has that obsession and it's going to be huge for this season and danver and her are gonna butt heads a little bit but you also see already in episode one that danver also cares i've said it already twice she doesn't want to brush under the rug she cares if she thinks it can be figured out she wants to help navarro told her please look at this look at this and she acted like she didn't but she really did that kind of stuff there's going to be that tension outwardly but soon enough again six episode season soon enough they're going to be fully eye to eye and getting this figured out now we found the victims we found six victims at the end of this episode okay that's going to bring them even closer together this Mm -hmm. tongue that was found we know that the victim's tongue, the girl from six years ago, her tongue was found. Are we going to find out something where it was frozen this entire time and it was just thawed out and it actually really is her tongue? Something like that. That connects it close enough. We have the parka, but we connect it close enough where Danvers is like, okay, now we are in and they're both going to become obsessed and they're both going to be homies. Yeah. I mean, what's the one thing that we hear multiple times in this episode? She's awake. Right. So maybe that tongue being unfrozen, like you just said, could be a big piece of this puzzle. So I want to drop a couple things that I notice and get your thoughts on it. But first, I wanted to think about like quickly going into this world. So we're in Ennis, Alaska, going back to the first season and how this relates. I love the fact that, you know, they're taking us not only in like the tundra of Alaska, but they're also taking us like inside the homes of where these people live inside the police precinct that like little touch. I know it's, it's small, but it's like, those are the little things that make you actually feel like you're in it. Like you're, you're part of it because right. You know, my, uh, my wife will tell me that she knows all about Alaskan culture from watching like TikTok people from Alaska, um, mm-hmm. which is apparently a big thing. People in Alaska just making TikToks and showing people how they live. But this is, okay. like, this is like a part of the world that I c- can't even imagine, right? Yeah, like being, I, I being agree. Being out that way. But, and even though it's a fictional town, these types of towns exist. I think this was filmed in Finland or something to that effect, like two months of... Two months of darkness they filmed this in, which is pretty Unbelievable. crazy. But 
they laid out in this first episode a few things that tell me, you know, as the detective and, and a night boy, where we're going <laughs> this season. So they lay out in Navarro's first scene with the crabs because they're they're doing crabbing gets worse every year. And solestation, mm-hmm. part of what they're looking at is climate change effects, right? So we've got right. the effects of climate change on this on this area that's so close to the Arctic Circle. We've got mm-hmm. the mines. I don't know what they're mining. Uh, there's a couple, you know, easy guesses just for, and that we could probably Google, but they'll get to it later. But just this idea of a mine being the lifeblood of the town, a mine being you know, harmful to the people that work there, right? There's protesters for it. Um, And then you've got the race angle to to go along with it, which is this idea that from the characters that we see in the first episode, it's kind of 50-50. You see the indigenous angle through Navarro's eyes. Then you've got Danvers, who is white, says that she came to the area six years ago wearing a Minnesota Vikings. And then you've got... (laughs) The you've got the brother from Eastbound and Down, and you've got his you've you've got his son Pete, and even Pete is in a relationship with an indigenous woman and from has Alaska. A, and has a child that has a child, yep. and they have a child together, saying like, "Oh, I fell for a white boy." So they're already mixing in that there's going to be this tension, and that's again yes. the other side of what makes things interesting to me because I love the whole true detective like underbelly thing, and when you've got you know, a mine when you've got people that work for a nonprofit that are doing research on climate that the mine might be helping contribute to mix with Mm -hmm. the racial side. It gives you a lot of interesting collisions that can happen throughout it. But when I think back to what I was just saying with Pete Pryor, it leads me to my final question on this, on this expedition to you, Jim, which is, are you getting money when your four-year-old is that close to you in the other no, room? Right? Did anyone else? Did anyone else notice that the guy's oh like goodness. getting a handy? The, he just walked out. He was chilling with the kid. Don't and this poor is Darwin, not a, my God. This is not like a little baby that isn't going to be moving from the other room. This kid is a four-year-old that will be like, "Mommy, Daddy, I hear you. What are you doing out there?" It's just a little bit wild to me. That was crazy. And then like he stops her, and she's like, "Come on." Come on, man, like <laughs> she's like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they had a pretty big house too. So like it didn't have to be, you know. I just yeah, right. Just doesn't seem like that needed to happen right there. But you know, whatever. <laughs> everybody, everybody does their own. Pretty thing. selfish. Yeah, poor Darwin. But all joking aside, with those different angles, I know that all of them are intriguing. So I'm not. We're not trying to stack rank them. But between those, yeah. what has got? What? Where's the avenue that you want to go down first? What's got you most intrigued? Man, so my theory goes with the mines. So if we want to talk theories, then mines would be something you're already, that you're already can... coming with a theory. You're already yeah, I'm with already the ready for theories. Talk to me about um, the mine workers. Okay, so if anyone has listened to our silo coverage, we're not scene by scene. We're not A to B. We're going to be talking about our feelings on the episode, themes. We're going to be talking about theories. We're not just going to be like, all right, guys, in scene one, this happened. Scene two, this happened. So we might be a little all over the place. Stick with us. So with this mind stuff, we have a lot of scenarios. And Tyler, this is going to jump all over the place here. But we have Navarro's sister, where she's having some mental health issues, possibly. We know that Navarro's mother and and the sister's mother 
definitely had mental health issues. And they're both trying to say we're not going to be mom. And we also have something that I alluded to earlier in the episode where two months of darkness and it's three days in and they make a comment where weird shit's already happening and it's only three days in. We know the effects of not getting the sun, seasonal depression, mental illness, even hallucinations. There is so much that can go go on here. So I'm sure these troopers and detectives are not excited for these two months. And when I'm first watching this episode, I'm like, all right, are we going supernatural here? Or are they going symbolism with the actual mental illness that can come about from the two months in... Uh, in Alaska with no sunlight. And my thoughts here, if we're going to just slip to the minds, is hilariously enough, a similar theory that I came up with for Yellow Jackets, that I'm not really going to give the Yellow Jackets version of the theory just in case no one's seen it. And we already know Tyler's thoughts on Yellow Jackets. (laughs) We don't care about that theory. (laughs) Going True Detective to Yellow Jackets, that's not Prestige TV for Tyler here. (laughs) Um, but not season two of Yellow Jackets, I'll tell you that. Right. So I'm trying to connect a million dots here, and episode one is very hard to try to do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we got to be kind two, with ourselves here, Jim. Yeah. So episode two, we're gonna find out that I'm fully wrong. But here, let's let's just think of something here, okay? I'm sure we'll get into all this the quote unquote supernatural stuff before we get to the end of the episode. But throughout this episode, there's plenty of stuff that at first. We see Tyler help me with the name, the the older lady who finds the dead body oh, from Rose Travis. Agan- Rose Aganall. We yeah. don't know much about her, but we know right. that she's kind of living off the beaten path and follows the trail of her dead son, Travis, to the bodies, right? So, right. So, supernatural check one right there. <laughs> yes. Hallucination slash supernatural. Check one. Inside the station, obviously, lights flickering, TV being all weird. It, when... They first walk in, the delivery guy walks in, whoosh, somebody runs yeah, by, was there something someone in runs there? by. What was it? Who is it? So we have a victim from six years ago. This victim, we don't know why she was killed. How are we going to know why she was killed if we don't know who the killer is? That's a cold case for six years. We know that the mines are a big problem. We know that the water, quote unquote, goes to shit. Mm-hmm. My thoughts here are... Are the mines going to be a big deal for this season, a bigger deal than we thought? Are they going to be mining something like mercury, okay? So I don't know that they're necessarily mining mercury, but are they somehow polluting the water with mercury? There's a syndrome called Mad Hatter syndrome. When you consume too much mercury, whether it's from the water, whether it's from food, you hallucinate, you get sick, you get mental illness. Everything starts going wild for you, okay? It's literally called Mad Hatter Syndrome. You can guess how you feel here. We have scenarios where Rose is eating her own food. She kills, I guess it's a wolf, is that what it is? She kills a wolf and guts it Mm -hmm. and is eating that as her meal, okay? We have caribou, is that what we're going to call them, who are... Deciding to run off the edge? Yeah, I don't know if it was caribou, reindeer, whatever. Yeah, I like reindeer. They could have been it could have been yeah. seen as reindeer. Whatever it is. Um, are these people being polluted? Is their water being polluted? Are the animals the animals are drinking the water, then you're eating the animals? 
Are they going to be polluted with this mercury? Is it going to be causing some people to be getting sick? Do we need to watch throughout the season what people are eating? Danvers, Hank, they're eating from the cupboard. Rose, who's seeing Travis, seeing hallucinations, she's eating the wolf. The caribou, ah, drinking the water, whatever. No, that's a good point, right? We see a lot when we when we're looking at like Danvers or like she's making. They have a lot of processed food, right? She's got soup from a can. I saw some manwich hanging out in uh, Fryer's cupboard. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm with you. It's interesting as we're talking. I just Google on my phone Alaska, and because Mm -hmm. it's both. Probably the popularity of the show mixed with, you know, my phone is constantly listening to me. The first yeah. thing that it, the first thing it said that I could click on is what do people mine in Alaska? Oh my god, it's <laughs> listening is, to you, is, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's just listening to us, but it's okay. We're already there. But it says, according to Google, gold, silver, copper, zinc, graphite, cobalt, and lead, um, and then okay, some well, rare lead. earth elements. But even to that, Jim, like, I think. Less about what they're mining. It's obviously being done because it's a profitable thing mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. in Alaska, right? We know that there's a lot of mining in in some of these towns for rare minerals. Um, so I think you could be onto something in terms of like she was a protester. The woman, the woman Annie, uh, yes. who was murdered, she was a protester of the mine. That could have a huge connection to it. Yeah, my guess was going to be that she found something out maybe found out that they were poisoning the town with the mercury and they were deciding because it's too profitable not to shut the mine down. Again, we don't know who killed her, but say it was somebody from the mines or something because she was going to protest and and tell everyone, hey, our water is being polluted, our animals are being polluted, and they are getting poisoned and we're getting poisoned by eating them, by drinking the water. And they said, whoa, 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 (laughs) this is profitable. Yeah, we got to keep this going. I definitely think you're definitely on to something there. I mean, and look, using like our true detective season one knowledge, like in season one, there is the very real problem of religious fanatics and child molestation, which is a tough topic to talk about, but that's what they explore, which is real, which is similar to like profitable mine poisoning locals but still operating but then you mix Mm -hmm. that in season one with the carcosa which is more of the demonic underbelly there's you know uh, obviously the main villain in in season one if you haven't uh, i'm not gonna i I already decided i'm actually not spoiling any of the seasons beforehand because because, they're they're anthology yeah they're anthology and look if you just watch night country not really knowing the backstory stumbled upon binge down tv I'm here for you because I want you to go and watch those seasons and just be in amazement. But and I will say, Tyler, we have had a lot of listeners hit us up on the Discord and on our Twitter saying, "Are you guys going to cover True Detective season one as a just a reverse, a, a backtrack?" And we thought about it leading up to this season with me and you as the veterans because there are still Benchtown. Hosts who have not seen season one. Now, obviously, we're not going to do it now until a little bit later. We obviously want to finish this season first. But we if, hey, to, guys, let us know. Yeah, if you want us to do it, we're in. Let us know. Hit us up. Discord. Yeah, if you want me uh, to Twitter. just be making fun of Luke for you know being you Luke know, watched it 
being just 11 finished, just finished being 11 <laughs> years late on watching it then you know that we can do that so you're going the mine route i'm going to take you though solestation route okay take and me there so obviously we know that there's the connection with the parka that annie was killed mm-hmm. in being in a picture of one of the scientists but yes and they do it quickly so I got to pull up my handy notes app for this one, but I think it's intentional that they sh- they tell you the names of everybody that are in there, and we see only for a brief second when it looks like the after he's having what is like a standing seizure, microwave, yeah. whatever, you see him quickly when he says she is awake, but the individual who says she is awake is Clark because he says, Clark, are you okay? The guy that's like TikTok mm-hmm. his sandwich making skills, which I loved. My wife would yeah, probably right. watch that TikTok of sandwich being made at Solid Station. Danvers needs to figure out a way to charge that damn phone. Yeah, they got to charge that. Watch. They will charge that phone, which I'm confident in. And that's going to give them some clues. But they talk about quickly... They say the names of everybody, which I can't remember the names of everyone, but because the guy said, Clark, what's wrong? I was listening for the Clark guy. And what Raymond Clark does is he is an expert in paleo microbiology. So when I'm done watching, I'm like, well, I asked the question that I think everybody's asking themselves, which is what the fuck is paleo microbiology? And it's kind of, it it is kind of what it sounds like, which is the study of microorganisms associated with prehistoric material. So we think about what are they doing at this station? All we know is that they're getting the same result for something over and over again. And they've got canisters of a bunch of different things. So when you talked about the freezing of the tongue, it kind of goes into this guy, Clark, He's the only one of the scientists that has his own room. We're going to say that. We're going to say that again because they mentioned that at the end of the episode. He's yep. the only person there that's studying, you know, essentially microorganisms. So now we're going back into our Last of Us <laughs> situation where we've, we're talking about, you know, more of like parasites and things of that nature and their effect yep. on prehistoric beings. And they're mining into the ground and pulling ice out of the ground, almost like they're searching for something like this. So where I'm thinking about it more from the demonic messed up side of things, right? Is this guy, Clark, he has some connection to, you know, our cold case of Annie. And he is the only one studying these. He's studying parasites from literally prehistoric times. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. there is a chance to me that his, him maybe getting infected with something, whatever, could be obviously the one tied to the killings of the rest of Solestation, but he's also got some weird spiritual bond to this Annie woman. Um, and my last thing I'm going to drop on you, because right when my just watching it, the, anything with Clark, I was just like, what's going on? And when Danvers is telling you as the viewer, you know, why Annie's case was a cold case, essentially saying there's a, she had a lot of enemies and she was an activist, a protester. But one of the things that she says, which doesn't align, so it makes me as the viewer wonder, and as the night boy wonder, why do they say that? Is they mm-hmm. say she was a midwife. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So again, a midwife would 
potentially be involved with helping a pregnancy of the one guy who's got his own room in solestation who could be getting parasite. God knows what. So I, look, we don't have enough information to steer it all together, but yeah, I think I do think they'll be linked in some way, but it's almost to me like he's the reason that she was murdered. And then the hate and the afterkill of everything that happened to the body, unfortunately, is to do with the pro with the mind and more of that stuff. But mm -hmm. I'm just I feel like they want you to be tied to the Clark guy because he goes nuts and they're all missing and they're all a bunch of them are dead in horrific mm -hmm. way to be, I mean, their faces are like, it's eerie seeing their, the people in the ice at the end of the episode that are like, ah, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, like, that's, there's a couple things that are very tough to say. Like, I, I think that either you or me or both are on the right track for something where it's like part of the answer. Like minds, the minds could be part of the answer, but I didn't even, I hardly brought up anything with the station and you're bringing up the station and, and connecting it to the mind. So I feel like we're definitely on some kind of section of the answer, but there's certain things like with my theory that you can explain some of the supernatural stuff. And like, same with you, like if someone has parasites and they're, and they're screwed up, that can answer some of the supernatural stuff. But my problem is like the way that these dead bodies are found that is just straight supernatural to me like if you freeze in alaska you're not going to be contorted like that with your screaming as you it's like an automatic frozen like you're snap your fingers and they're frozen while they're screaming there's got to be something to that that makes it supernatural there's a couple other things like yeah could be hallucinations but that one right there i just can't figure out how to explain that away without saying they're supernatural involved again in the in the first season there is definitely like a supernatural bend to it that and unexplained things in season one so i do think you know for our first time true detective viewers and listeners it's not out of left field the true detective is going to have a supernatural bend it's kind of what makes it such a great show um, but i'm with you because I know it's maybe a hotly contested topic amongst the uh, Bingetown staff, but I'm just going to come out and say that if you're watching a prestige TV show and you don't watch the scenes for the next episode of the rest of the season, then <laughs> come at me because you you need to. And, and look, just from, from those scenes, having the woman Rose Agonoff say there's a difference between the spiritual world and mental health, right? I think mm -hmm. that's going to be another thing going on in this because let's say you know, Navarro and her sister, let's say their mom had, you know, some type of psychosis or whatever, you know, and they're trying to avoid falling into the same pit. I mean, I can imagine mm -hmm. how frustrating that would be feeling like you're going to be kicked into a psych ward like the sister feels every time you're seeing things that are more like unexplainable from the spirit world. Right. And that could be, mm -hmm. I think that's the, the intersection um, of the spirituality with the cold, calculated, terrible nature of the crime is what's got me hooked. Solestation and the mine are the two areas that they intentionally swung the doors open for us. And, uh, 
you know, they, they want us to kind of speculate on it without all the information, but I'm with you that, you know, Rose Agnall seeing her son and being guided to the bodies. I want to know what happened with her son. I want to know what her deal is. Um, there's so much that we still have to uncover, which is what makes for any great mystery detective show, which I'm excited about. Yeah. And there could be a scenario where Rose is, you know, an older person who maybe has dementia or Alzheimer's or, you know, she has been infected, like I'm saying, by the Mad Hatter syndrome. And she's seeing Travis, but she's really just some older lady wandering and wandering and wandering who accidentally wanders upon the victims. Or she's actually seeing her son and there is something that you need to explain to me or I'm going to be a little upset. You know, that's, I mean, and and we know that they're going to explain it. There's going to be something that we get here. The son, obviously walking her specifically to the victims, doing a little dance and pointing it to (laughs) doing that dance. (laughs) I like that choreography. Yeah. And pointing to the victims. They'll give us the explanation. It could go one way. It could go the other way and we'll get an answer. I'm not worried about that. But that's, I mean, even, and look, this show, what it does intentionally, it's kind of puts you in the same situation that the detectives are in, right? Because if why was the talk, we were just talking about that scene and you're Navarro, you're going to say, oh my God, like a spirit of Travis, her dead son guided her. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're, you're coming off like a Danvers on this pod in a big way, yeah. Jim, where you're going to say, oh, it's Mad uh-huh. Hatters and something like that, where I wasn't even, I'm just Alzheimer's like, or- I'm like, yeah, yeah man. so there, there will be some sort of explanation, but that's Kind of the beauty yeah, up, up to interpretation. Yeah, like is, Russ yeah. Cole, it could just be up Russ to Cole in season one of True Detective gets where he gets not off of being a great detective all the time, but he's an expert interrogator for you know more like spiritual re- like he's he's seeing. I can't even go down all the all the different wormholes, but there's a lot of things that are unexplained and kind of leave you as the, at the end of that show, as good as it is, being like, which side do I fall on? Right, like. Do I believe right. in more of these supernatural things or do I think that she just ate some bad wolf's meat and she's walking around the desert <laughs> like a crazy old bag? So I don't go know. Go to Mars, dude. <laughs> she, 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 went, she went to Mars. Um, but it, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Jim, I know that I, I'm I'm taking the bull by the by the horns here, um, or maybe I'm taking the caribou by the antlers if if I can. But uh, <laughs> or the damn reindeer, or the reindeer by the antlers. But let me let me hit you with a couple with a couple questions. Yeah, man. All right. My first is going to be sex with Navarro. Do you think <laughs> that he finished or he broke his pelvis or both? <laughs> <laughs> she walked in and she knew what she was doing. She knocked on that door and she came in with a purpose. The SpongeBob, the SpongeBob toothbrush was just the cherry on top. You know what I will say, all joking aside, is that like while most sex scenes they often fall into the category of like, did we really need that? To your point, this was about it was showing you as the viewer like she's in control at all times, even when she's mm-hmm. having sex, she's in control. Um, right. Which, I thought was a funny, I love the, the SpongeBob, uh, why do you have a SpongeBob, what does he say? He's like, cleans your teeth, lives in a pineapple. Like, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> um, Can't go wrong. So that's the first one. Um, the woman who they arrest on a DUI. 
Yeah. If you were really limited. No, <laughs> Tyler. I'm not even going to let you freaking. No. Let's pause and talk about her for a second because she is. She's like a funny part, but she's also important because this whole scene where she crashes into Danvers and her daughter and you see how Danvers reacts, that gives us the backstory and it leads to the backstory of Danvers losing her. I don't even, I guess they're married, significant other, and son, the scene well, where we don't, she's, we don't know that for sure, right? We don't know that she lost them. Well, I would assume that it was a drunk driver killed them, but I guess I'm just making assumptions, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, that's my assumption, we know, yeah. what we do know is that when she's walking towards the car in that situation, there's a flashback of her walking towards what looks like a car mm-hmm. accident. Leah says, we never talk about it. And right. And then you hear like a little boy and in her dream sequence. you hear like a sequence. little boy say, I'm awake or whatever, um, and put an arm around her when she's sleeping, which is more mm-hmm. of like a spiritual symbolic type thing. Jim would think that maybe that's Mad Hatters. I would say, you know, <laughs> maybe they're just trying to use some symbolism to show spiritual. us. But yeah, that is, I think that's the importance of that scene with the woman just to show us yeah. the, drunk, the drunk driving. When it comes to really quick, we're talking about the scene where she's in bed and she has the dream and the the boy puts his arm on her and we look down and we see the polar bear with the eye missing and then Navarro sees she's a polar the bear polar bear missing. with the eye missing. What is it? The 20th year anniversary of Lost debuting with the damn polar bear, man. <laughs> that's um, true. This that's actually true. makes sense for a polar bear to be in Alaska, though, so we're good. Yeah. Um, but again, spiritual, supernatural, however you want to say it, there's a connection. And me saying Mad Hatter, I don't I won't buy that because if she sees the one eye missing on her stuffed animal that we are going to maybe assume is her child's and then Navarro sees that, that connection wouldn't exist by Mad Hatter. They may they right? make mention of a spirit animal earlier in the episode, right? Mm-hmm, and Navarro mm-hmm. says if I had a spirit animal to eat your white your old white ass or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's the sp- more of a nod to a spiritual link between the two characters. Could be. Could be. Okay. Uh, may- maybe we assume that the father and the son passed away in the car accident, if that's the assumption we want to make at this point. I know you're not ready to jump there, but that's where I well, freaking I don't know automatically where, where does jump. that leave Leah? You know, I don't know. I, my thought was that Leah was maybe the father's daughter when she moved, so it's, it would be like Danvers' stepdaughter. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, look, we, yeah, we, we'll can, we can speculate. I mean, it's like it's like okay. Do you think that the if there was a drunk driving accident tied to Danvers, which there is, did it happen in Minnesota, where she's from, with his Vikings jersey? Well, that's true. Or did it that's happen true. in Ennis? I, you know, the yeah, reason I go for stepdaughter is because she says, you know, you don't have to take care of me and that whole line like that, like basically saying I'm not actually yours. Yeah. That's kind of how I took. I, it. That's how I'm Again, taking a lot it of too. assumptions. I'm taking that. I'm taking yeah. that she's taking care of Leah, and they're not. You know, she says multiple times, like I don't care when they're when she's talking about the sex tape incident and stuff like that. She's like, I don't care about you, but what I care about is like a lady screaming in my fucking face. Yeah, they they definitely pepper you with the idea that okay, Leah is not her biological daughter and she's taking care of her for an, in another way. That's going to be one of the questions, right? The same as who is Rose Agonall? Who is her dead son, Travis Agonall? Who is and what is the car accident that's tied to Danvers? We've got 
I'm going to throw a couple names out there for the listeners as well. They say Daddy Connolly, Navarro says at one point, referencing why she got bussed down to a trooper. So Connolly, maybe some type of law enforcement official. Um, And then they also throw out the name when they're talking about the mines and people that she, Navarro pissed off. I believe the name is Kate McKitterick. And mm-hmm, so she mm-hmm. pissed off Kate McKinnerick. Right. She went in busting down some doors that she shouldn't have been busting down. So they're they're intentionally leaving us these bread trail of names that we're going to have to figure out who these characters are. Um, and I guess kind of like the cap on that, we both threw out some different things to that effect. But like, what do you think the Pete character, the Pete prior the kind of up-and-coming detective that's shadowing danvers what do you think his role to play is going to be in all of this he's going to be interesting and i think the the bigger question might be like what's the deal with his freaking dad at this point because hank is sketchy when we find the tongue and we know that there's all they're in the station there's some shit going down and you know it's not just like a cookie cutter open and closed case he's sitting there he immediately gets on his phone and he's texting then he's acting like he doesn't give a shit and he's aloof and she's asking him to do something and then she yells at pete and says yo pete you do it your dad's in la la land is he purposely like acting like he doesn't care yeah is he actually checked out and really doesn't care why does he have the files and won't give it to danvers when she wants it why does pete have to go steal it and then that was a cool scene because you know pete comes out with a nice little slick yeah, reason to come over yeah they're showing you that pete's got uh he's got something up his sleeve he's he's, he's got some resources he knows what he's doing and thought his dad busted him but then he pulls the picture out from behind uh his back you know in his back pocket but you know he seems he seems weird he seems yeah, like yeah. there's something Is going it- on there we're gonna get some more with hank Pete, to me, seems like he's going to be the bridge to what the deal is with Hank, while he's also going to be the new guy that maybe has to help whenever Hank's being a problem. Yeah. Is or it, maybe is he's going to be the one that like talks Hank into... Yeah, yeah, right. Is yeah. it? Is it in... That's great. That's good writing and good job by the director. Like, I'm with you. Is it insubordination? Like, maybe Danvers came in and took his spot, or... Is he associated with some sort of cover-up? You know, who knows? Yeah. It could be one or the other. Um, They make you seem like he's aloof and he's kind of just, you know, like maybe Danvers took his job and he's salty. But this is is the classic, you know, true detective storylines always make you kind of question the integrity of every character in the show. Besides our two Mm -hmm. main protagonists. Right, right. Well, look, I mean... I know that this pod was more of just for a first episode. Hey, if you watched, we didn't want to run you through everything that happened. Right. But talk more about the big picture ideas from it. As we move forward, I'm really going to be excited to see them kind of check off these names that we mentioned. Tell us more about them, Mm -hmm. paint more of a picture. Um, But the supernatural and Ben to true detective, which really they kind of get away from when season two, they get away from completely. Yeah, fully. Season three, yep. which I know you haven't seen it, they have it in there, but it's it's used a bit differently. Not to uh, not to spoil that season right. at all. But I'm really excited by the first episode. I think it laid the groundwork for a really intriguing mystery. And Jodie Foster playing Danvers is a fucking powerhouse. I mean, she Hell, is yeah. a hell of an actress. And 
Callie Reese, who I don't know if she's really been in much. I know she was an MMA fighter. Am I right on that? I've mm. never seen her before, uh, but no, I, I have to look her up. Yeah, she. I believe she's an MMA fighter, but she really holds her own. I thought. I mean, it's got to be tough for an actress that doesn't have as much experience coming in, you know, acting with fucking uh, Jodie right Foster. Jody Foster. But she she crushed it. So that's another thing that. Just made me really optimistic about this uh, six six week adventure that we just partook on. I I agree, man. I've said it in the first part of the episode. It's the setting is just I'm falling in love with it. I really love the whole scenario of the two months in the darkness, the Alaskan. Like you're saying, it's basically mystery no man's land out there. If you don't know anything about it, you don't know anything about it. And I don't think that's any kind of coincidence. We're talking about spirituality, supernatural. Maybe poisoning, some kind of hallucinations, major mental illness possibilities. All of that, it's all by design. It could be one part of it. It could be all of it. There's a million options, and we're going to be diving into it for the next five weeks. I'm pumped, man. Any parting shots before I uh, hit us with that outro? No, just, um, you know... I will say after this episode that I'm awake and uh, I'm I'm going to be interested <laughs> to just too. hear from, you know, uh, the followers of this podcast on their takes because it's also not lost on me that in a show that in some ways is about, you know, white indigenous relationships and the women's side of this story that two white guys are on here talking, potting about it, right? So... This podcast, and when, when Jim and I did Silo before, what really made it great was the engagement we got from everybody on the yes. Discord and on Twitter. So please keep that coming because perfect world for me at the end of the day would be using these pods to deep dive into our theories as the episodes go on, but to also hear from you all and kind of pick pick that. And I hope that, you know, some of what we just said here today maybe got your mind thinking about it a little bit more and excited for Sunday nights. Sunday nights, baby. That's what it's all about. It's Press all about Sunday nights. TV. My <laughs> gosh. There's nothing like an HBO Sunday night juggernaut Come coming on. out. I mean, Come on. no matter how many good shows we've seen, I don't think there will ever be a scenario that's any... It's You know, I know you weren't the hugest Game of Thrones fans, but I mean, starting all the way back with Sopranos, The Wire... Game of Thrones, Succession, now we're back to True Detective. Come on, there's nothing. It's appointment television, so we are ready to go. All right, guys, if you like what you heard, check us out at Benchtown TV. I said it in the intro. We are not just a True Detective podcast. We cover so many other different TV shows, so we would love for you to come for the ride. Like Tyler was saying, this Discord community, we want this to be a community. It was created around the time that Silo was coming out when we were covering Silo, and it blew up for us with Silo, and it's been a blast for every other TV show we've been covering. The link for that will be in the description. Join the, the Discord. It's free. I know a lot of podcasts put a paywall for that, but no, we want just to get as many people as possible. We want to be talking to everybody. We want to hear your thoughts. If we suck, let us know. If we're phenomenal, let us know. If you want to be part of the Night Boys, let us know. <laughs> night, it's, yeah, well we're, well, we're the Night Boys, right? But I think, right. you know... The night, the night people cometh, you know, the night people cometh yeah. to be all, all of our group. We're all the night people, and maybe these night boys, these two night boys, <laughs> if we get our theories right, maybe we'll become the night men. But for now, we're definitely little <laughs> yeah, boys we here. Are not, I am definitely a night boy right now, but love yeah, to be a night are, man. We are a night boy. Yeah, we're a night boy. 
But like I say, guys, all you have to do is check us out at BingetownTV.com or search Bingetown TV in any of your favorite podcast apps. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. We'll see you next week for part two. And thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.